How are you doing this morning? Isn't it good to know that we have a prison breaker? Because I'll tell you, I don't know about you, what I'm going to be sharing with you today is out of the first chapter of Chronicles. And it has to do with the fact that Christians suffer as well. I think sometimes I've met people in my life that kind of feel like, oh, we get saved and life is a party. You know, we just have everything just the way we want it. And it's anything but it's a whole different agenda and a different plan for us. But before I start, I would like to pray with you. Uh, quickly. All right. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the women that are present. We thank you for your word. I thank you for this week and the lessons that you have brought forth to each and every one of us that has been in your word. The beauty in this, I always like when I sit at a table, is how you meet each individual so uniquely them. And so I'm thanking you for that. But Holy Spirit, I pray that I would decrease in this whole time that you would come forward, that you would give my tongue the instructions that you have given to my heart. And that as I speak, I pray for the hearts to be open. The ones that you are speaking with and the things that you want to bring forth today that encourages them and gives them a whole different perspective on what a good, great God we have. So we thank you. And thank you for getting that computer up and moving. That was a good thing. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I came here, and, and Candace was not. It was rebooting, so we weren't sure what we were going to have. When, but you know what? This has all worked out well. Right down to the last minute, right? Right. Well, you know, before I get started in my, there's a, it's a Bible my husband bought. I didn't know he had it. But I like some of the things I found. I just want to share a few things as I got into the beginning before I got into actually the chapter. And it's some things that I never really saw. And I'm going to try to quickly go through this about Paul that were really cool. You know, so I'm just going to share just a few things with you in where it has um, the development of the thought. The progress of thought in this epistle is like a mighty army advancing over terrain, still inhabited by, pack, by pockets of stubborn resistance. There's anything you saw in this scripture. That is what Paul was up against. It seems to me it's what his call was to be up against resistance. So ladies, when we're up against resistance, let's not shirk back from that. Paul never lays his armor down while such resistance to his ministry exists. His letter is an ultimatum calling for total and unconditional surrender to the authority of Christ's apostle. I liked that. I thought that was great. Influence is in the second Corinthians. We find certain features that are not so evident in Paul's other writings. I kind of wonder, because as I read this, I'm like, well, what is it that we're seeing? You know, as an evangelist defends his authority against the attacks of certain apostles who sought to free the Corinthians of his influence, he reveals his very soul and adds details about his life that would otherwise be unknown. This epistle is a monument to Paul, vital and inspired, was more than a match for every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God. And then, in the end, finally, Paul reveals more clearly in 2 Corinthians than anywhere else his call and authority as an epistle. It also says, also his personal letter shows, shows us how Paul related to a difficult church congregation, which he loved very much. He used the strong and challenging words, and he agonized over the quarreling, divided Corinthians. 
like an outraged daddy. He pleads, rebukes, and weeps for his children in the Lord. You know, I looked at that and I thought, do we do this in the church? Do we really move there? That was a prayer I actually prayed for the Lord. Would you move in my heart in a new way with that? In this letter, we also see the bondservant. And if we look carefully, we find that sometimes he was on the pinnacle of joy and other times in the valley of despair. Christians need this reminder that the road is not always easy and even the great apostle had his moments of despair, disappointment, and sorrowing. And at times, Lord, we do too, right, ladies? We are encouraged by the fact that God could give Paul the victory over all things, even death itself, in spite of the fact that he was often very weak and human, just like we are. I thought those were some good things to start with and to remember about Paul. As I read those things as a reminder to myself. So as I'm getting ready to go into the first chapter of um, Corinthians, we see where the father of compassion is also the God of all comfort. He consoles us as we endure the pain and hardships of life, which is what I think most of our life is about. So that we may draw from his comfort and share it with others and their own struggles. I think it's the only way that we are really used of God is in the things that we suffer. And we have a savior that came into this world that has showed us what it looks like to suffer. And how, in that suffering, he so identifies with us. It's why when you are suffering, you have a great high priest to go to that understands and has been a part of the suffering that we suffer in. It makes him real for me. It's not like otherworldly to where at times you wonder where he is. You know, and even in that song, when I, what you played, How Far Is Heaven? We have a heavenly place that we will go, but I've had, I have often thought, Heaven is a heartbeat away from me because the presence of God lives in me. That's how far it is. We don't think out here. We think in here. We meet him. He meets us. When I listened to Jill, what was her last name? Yeah. Who said, we meet God on the steps of our soul and have our conversations do there. We do our business with him there. What a beautiful picture. I literally can envision that when I'm in those places where I need to meet him. Because he lives in my heart. All right? I could go through. I had a bunch of things out here. But I don't know about you guys. But there's one chapter in particular that, as you got into, I liked was in chapter 2 where the believers in Corinth are exhausting Paul and one another with their negativity and their criticism. Nothing destroys. Because I wanted to quickly just share with you. That was something I saw. Nothing destroys the beauty of Christian community more than aggressively, more aggressively than these kinds of patterns. And one of the translations I read, and I liked it when he said in verse 1, I finally determined that I would not come to you again yet for another agonizing visit. That's what he basically, he had had it. I loved seeing he had had it too. There's times that you do get to a point where you've had it. It's where with our little our littlest grandson used to say when he was finished, I dunt. When he was dunt, he meant it. Wherever we were at, we were out to eat. It was like everybody's eating really quick because he's getting out of the high chair. He's not finishing, but I mean, he means I'm finished. You know, and I thought, and then he goes on to say, if my visit creates create such pain and sorrow for you, how can you cheer me up except for those I've caused such grief? It's like I think he had seen 
the realities of what life was like. And I looked at it and I'm like, well, I'm not going to feel alone in that. I felt like I had kindred spirit with him. But some wonderful ways and the ways that he ministered to people. So with that, I'm going to move into all Christians suffer. And with that, I had, and I shared with her, I have a photo. To me, I think that there's, and as I'm going to go, there is really and truly, it's the face of suffering. And I, I, I know years ago when I would go downtown, there's a guy, his name is Lee Jeffries, and I always went in and I looked at, because he was a, he was a photographer that went about taking photos of people that are in places of bondage and suffering. And, there's, and I think that a lot of times where the suffering comes, you, you don't, some people keep it to themselves. But in this, it's like he captured facially what suffering looked like. So I sent this to her because to me, this is the face of suffering for me. I look through and I see so much sorrow and sadness and suffering. And I look, because I think the eyes are the window to your soul. And I look at this and I wonder to myself, you know, who meets them? Who's out there? Who's with them? But what the face of suffering looks like. And for many, that face and what's showing is all internalized as I get going, sharing. There's physical, there's emotional, there's mental, there's spirit. There's many ways that suffering finds itself. But I felt that this face showed what it all is about and how the grace of God meets us in our sufferings. And if you want to look up Lee Jeffries' photos, it's, a, it's an eye-opening thing to the world around us. And at times it moves you to pray just even over what you're looking at. So all Christians suffers. Either you have, you are, or you will. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. If you want to look that up, that's in Acts 14, verse 22. This reality is a stark reminder that we have not reached the new heavens and the new earth. The new Jerusalem of no tears and no pain, of no mourning and no death hasn't arrived yet. That's, as you go in and look, Revelations 21, and it's verses 1 and 4 that addresses that. But don't you long for that? Don't you long for the place of no tears, no sorrow, no suffering? I know I do. I know that was one of the things I think my mother did at the end of her life. She just wanted so desperately to just leave this planet, go to this world where there was no suffering and no pain. And I know that I do. At times I feel that way. And then there's times where I don't. There are times to where I'm like, no, there's still work to do. Where even Paul addressed, I don't know what's better. I don't know if it's better to go to heaven, but I don't know if it's better to stay here. And I know in my life right now, that's where I'm at. I've got four precious faces that are in front of me on an ongoing basis. The other two that help produce those are no longer small where I can influence them like I used to. But I have the second chance with these four. So I'm finding myself being grateful, even though at times I do. I tell him, where is my life? I've lost my life. I don't have the freedom I've had, even today. You know, what kind of freedom? But I think what God is saying, the freedom I've given you has wings to it. Even though it may at times feel like you're in bondage to things, you're not. It's the beauty of having a God that can free us. But just because we experience suffering as we await the redemption of our bodies, it doesn't mean that our suffering is random and without purpose. I want you to understand that because at times when you're in the throes 
of suffering, and I mean suffering with pain, it can seem like it has no purpose to it, but that is not true. And neither does it mean that scripture doesn't tell us how to think about our suffering. So with that, I'm just going to go, there's five important biblical truths about suffering every Christian should have ready. So one, suffering, ladies, is multifaceted. Suffering has many faces. That's why I wanted to have a face. It has many faces. What does it look like? The Bible doesn't whitewash our experience of suffering by saying that it is all one stripe. So in, in other words, not all of us suffer the same way at the same time with the same things going on. We all have differences on how we suffer and what that's going to look like. Rather, it recognizes the multifaceted ways that suffering can come upon us. The Apostle Paul wrote, We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Ladies, that is, you read that this week. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, those are verses 8 and 9. Go back and reread that because there are times that we can feel that way. But what Paul is saying, with the grace of God that is extended to us, we can be victors in this. And if anyone suffered, he did. In these two verses, Paul lists several types of suffering. There is mental, there is physical, there is emotional, and there is spiritual. Each of these are different ways that we can suffer. When suffering comes, often several of these types of suffering are involved. So it doesn't mean at times you're not just dealing with one. I was thinking about this this morning as I was rereading over what I was going to share with you this morning, and I thought of my mother. Because I feel like my mother had multiple ways in this, but one of her primary ways of what she suffered for most of her life was with depression. And the depression came in various places. Three times in my mother's life, she was hospitalized in a mental place. She had mental and emotional breakdowns. The first breakdown she had, I was five years old. My younger brother, my middle brother was three years old. And my baby brother was literally a month old child. My father was in the military and he was alone with his children and had to find a place for us to be put because my mother had put, put in a, in a city that was away from where he lived. So he found a place with his family for us to go. But my mom was gone for six months. And you know, and, and some of what I tried to think about, it seemed to me as a child, I thought she was gone three months, but it was six months. And I had my month old youngest brother that lived six months, with, or five months without his mother. And my mom came back, even though God met her in those places, my mom came back, and I think even until the end of her life, she struggled with that. There's things that God needs to, depending on what we're allowing to do, and, and let him have, have access to. She carried a lot of guilt around with that. But I saw ways that he moved on her and changed her. That's what I'm going to share. Through the things that we suffer, we change. And she had a great understanding of depression. Great understanding of depression. And she had a way of loving those that were in places of depression that other people would find fault in. So there are things that he brought good out of what was meant for her harm. And suffering, so number, it, it, suffering happens is number two in community. The church is not meant to be a loosely bound association of functional lone rangers. Ladies, we're not meant to be alone. We're meant to be in community. 
Paul confronts that type of thinking when he writes, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That is in Galatians 6.2. I think it's a gift when we get to bear up with each other's burdens. And there's a way that the person that has their, burden, their burdens shared finds a love that only God can give them as they're experiencing that. The church is meant to be a refuge for those suffering. When a member is hurting, the church applies the bandages. When a member is down, the church encourages. When a member is in need, the church comes alongside and helps. It is what we are equipped to do and called to do, is to be able to meet the needs of others. Number three, suffering equips us for ministry. I think without it, I don't know what, what we would bring. I look at the life of Christ and I see his life all the way from the very beginning. I honestly do the suffering that he has and had and bore our sufferings in his own body. First-hand experience in suffering is essential in equipping us for ministry. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1.4 that God comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort in which we ourselves are comforted by God. One of the primary purposes, when we can't make heads or tails of why we're suffering, go back to this verse. It gives it purpose, and it equips you to be able to receive it in ways that it's very difficult to receive. But how? And what is the link between experiencing suffering and equipping the ministry? When you've passed through your own fiery trials and found God to be true to what he says, you have a real help to offer. Because you've experienced firsthand the movement of God moving into your life in ways that you can share with someone else. You have firsthand experience of both his sustaining grace and his purposeful design because you're sharing things with people. He has kept you through pain. He has reshaped you. That is one of the things, I don't know about everybody else in here, but I find that through the things that I've suffered, through the pain I've gone through, through all of these things, there are ways he has reshaped you more into his image. There are things being molded and made in me as I go through and I allow him to have accessibility to me. What are you experiencing from God? You can give away in increasing measures to others. You are learning both the tenderness and the clarity necessary to help sanctify another person's deepest distress. Then for you have suffering is a battleground. I think we have to realize that it is more often than not. Wherever there is suffering, there is a battle. A battle for your soul, a battle for other souls that are going through it. The book of Job shows us there can be two ways to respond to suffering. One that curses God because of suffering and one that praises God. God, even in the midst of suffering, we can praise him. If you want to go and reread Job, it's 2, chapter 2, it's verses 9 and 10. You know, and in Job, I was thinking about this, Job 13, verse 15. In the, in the end, what did Job literally declare to God? Yea, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He knew where to move and where not to move. Because his wife basically said, curse God and not God. And he said to her, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? I think those are things to remind ourselves are when we're in the throes of like not understanding why is this happening to me is do we only want the good from God but we don't want the difficult things from God? I don't think we grow in that. 
I don't think we teach our children that when we're continually moving with gifts towards them, giving them everything they want rather than the things that they need because there's growth in that. Keeping from them those things, I think, is, is what God would want us to do. And then five, suffering prepares us for more glory. One of the counter... One of the truths about suffering is that it prepares Christians for more glory. You're being made in the likeness of God, the more and more that you're transformed in that. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. These verses are like sandpaper for a lot of people in our modern sentiments about suffering. I think to share the gospel message with people, but to bring about life does have a road of suffering. There's many that that is like sandpaper to them. They don't even want to hear anything about that. Why do I want a God that's going to bring me through things that I suffer? We naturally try to avoid suffering at all costs. But God brings suffering in our lives for the sake of our eternal joy, yes, even glory. Do you remember when it says Jesus suffered the death of the cross for the joy that was set before him? If he can suffer with a joy as a result of that, so can we through the things that we suffer. I think that those are important things. Not to, not to shrink back from that, not to move away from that, and not to find not to always try to find your way out from underneath that. Because to understand, you have Christ's grace that is made available to you in your sufferings. Where he has said, how often, my grace is sufficient for you. How many of you here, I know there are women sitting in here, have experienced that. His grace is what sustains you. It's unmerited favor in the ways that he, he reaches to you. But you know what? He reaches to those that are calling out to him. That's where don't be a lone ranger. Don't be no man is an island. He isn't in it by himself. We need to call out to God. So often I do. I'm reminded, Denise, you don't have what you're asking. You aren't, you, what you struggle with, you have not because you're not asking. Simplest thing to go to God and ask, what is your will for my life? I want to move forward with that. How does God meet, your How does God meet you in trouble? and in loss, disability, and pain. Those are things to think about. You probably already know the right answer. You didn't have the right answer. How does he usually meet you in those places, ladies? He does not immediately intervene to make everything all better. I think often that's what we're looking for. Once it hits, once we're in it, we want it gone. I mean, if I'm being truthful, that's how I've been. Yet he continually intervenes according to his gracious purposes, working both in you and what afflicts you. So that is something that is comforting to remember those things. If you've read Psalms, if you've heard a sermon on the second half of Romans, go into Romans 8, 18 through 30, which it has present sufferings and future glory. You know, a Bible study, basically in 1 Peter. You can go into the third chapter, look at verse 13. You've got a good gist of what it's all about. It equips you to be able to be ready for the things that God may bring into your life. How does God's grace engage your sufferings? We may know the right answer, and yet we don't know it. It's a hard answer. It's hard to answer to people that are in the throes of it. 
but we make it sound at times like a, pant an a pat answer. We give them, you know, like, oh, we know all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. That's a true statement, but when you are dealing with somebody that is laying on a deathbed, giving them that, at times it's pat answers. There's different ways, I think, that we can minister to them. God sets about a long, slow answering, but we try to make it a quick fix and making somebody feel better in the moment. But you know, I feel like, which is what I think growing up, that's always what I wanted. Give me what I need to hear. As I've gotten older, I've realized God's like, no, I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to tell you the truth. His answer insists on being lived out over time and in to the particulars. We act as if just saying the right words make it so. God's answer insists on changing you into a different kind of person. But we act as if some truth, a principle, or a strategy, or perspective might simply be incorporated into who we already are. God personalizes his answers on hearts with an uncanny flexibility, but we can turn it into a formula. If I just blank, if you just do that, if you just remember this, no important truth ever no important truth ever contains the word just in it. If you just do this, it just doesn't happen. How does God's grace meet you in your sufferings? We can make the right answer sound old hat, but I guarantee you this. God will surprise you. He will make you stop. You will struggle. He will bring you up short. You will hurt. He will take his time. You will grow in faith and in love. He will deeply delight you. You will find the process harder than you ever imagined and better. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. That's in Psalm 20. That's one of my favorites. Psalm 23, 6. And no matter how many times you've heard it, no matter how long you've known it, no matter how well you can say it, God's answers will come to mean something better than you could have ever imagined. I don't know how some of you have been in your life, but I can tell you. And some of the things that I've suffered, as I look back, it's like I'm driving forward. And I'm looking in a rearview mirror, seeing what laid before me, but seeing the beauty what has been placed in front of me as a result of the things that I have suffered with loss. And there's been many. And ladies, it's also understanding that there is significant suffering. It has purpose. You know, and then it's considering how God's grace enters into your sufferings. So I'm going to ask you, this is a small little project, okay? What is the most, so I want you to write this down. I'm going to give you a minute to write it down. Well, have you got pens? I've seen you writing. What is the most significant experience of suffering that you have gone through? And that you are now going through, if that's going, okay, so you have those two things. Then... I want you to write this down, one, what has happened? Number two, how did it affect you? Tell me if I'm going too fast. I know I'm a fast talker, so I'll slow it down if I have to. Are you guys good? What has happened? How did it affect you? How did your life change? You don't have to rush with this. And you already have your pen and pencil writing, so that's good. Now. What time is it? It's only 10.15. I want you to take five minutes, and I want you to ponder, and I want you to remember, and then I want you to write. What happened? Write something about this. 
about something that you may have suffered. Because it does have effects on you. Good effects. Or it can have negative effects. You know, perhaps you could be, it could be something about a catastrophic event that may come to your mind. But as you think further, as you, it may be something as simple as, you know, words that were spoken to you that you still, that, that it was something that you suffered as a result. You may be carrying those things. What is it, what has happened that you remember? It could be a loss with relationships, you know, it, it, it can be any number of things. A loss with your finances, it could be a loss of a child, it could be loss and death. I mean, but it's things that you're suffering through. Because there are many kinds of significant sufferings that we go through. And it's no accident that James mentions various trials, because you do have various trials within which God works. But these are things for you to ponder with and to take with you. I mean, you can if you have them. If somebody wants to, you want to talk with things on how did I see God's grace in this? It's primarily what it is. Is good because he invites you to consider the variety of life-altering afflictions and then to make it personal nobody suffers in general each person suffers in some particular way so put your particulars on the table you know some people just suffer in silence some suffer by not wanting to think about it you know but things that I think that God wants to meet us in you know what marked you what most changed you more specifically, what marked you for good? Profound good in our lives often emerge in a crucible of significant suffering. Jesus himself learned obedience through what he suffered. That's in Hebrews chapter 5, 8. Often faith and love shine most clearly, simply, and courageously in dark places. I have found that to be the truth. And what marked you for bad? What brings to the forefront? Often our typical sins emerge in reaction to betrayal, loss, or pain. Hammered by some evil, some disco we discover the evils in our own hearts. If you want to read Romans 12, 17, it addresses that. And perhaps most often, in the hands of our kind and purposeful Father, the bad and the good both come out. And ladies, that's a gift. He brings to the forefront things that he wants us to put de to death. A trial brings out what is most wrong in you, and God brings out what is most right in you. As he meets you and works with you, the endurance of faith is one of the Spirit's finest fruits, and you only learn to endure when you must live through something hard. And that's really in this first chapter, kind of Paul. I mean, we're looking at the life of Paul, and this is exactly what has happened with him, you know? And I think that, even for myself, when I think through... You know, I can immediately bring to the forefront probably the number one thing I suffered the most. It had to do with the loss of a life. It had to do with having to migrate through 
the forgiveness of what created and caused. So looking back on that, but what it did and what God showed me was all the various places that he said, this is not good. These are things that we need to work on. But what it brought to the forefront was a, for, a forgiveness I've never experienced being able to extend to somebody else. So I look at the suffering, I look at the sadness, I look at the loss and all of that, but I look at what he has done with me through that, and I'm thanking him and praising him for what he's done. At the very beginning of that, I couldn't. I just could not. But you process with a God that wants to hear what you have to say. Ladies, honestly, it has, and we don't have to be in a prison in this, and we don't have to sink in sinking sand because we don't know where to go because we have a really good foundation. You know, it's like taking the suffering things and holding it in one hand, and then in the other hand, I want you, it's like looking at this old hymn, and it is how firm a foundation. I was going to read this to you, but I found it, or I don't have to read it, and I'm going to have that be what I'm going to end with. It's a beautiful hymn. And it has beautiful words on how the grace of God meets us and how God meets us in these places. You are on a firm foundation. There is no sinking. It's solid. Go ahead and put it on. Do you need me to get down off the stage? You can see it, right? Oh, I can see it here. It's a firm of the desert.
add to that, right? You have a God that will never forsake you. And he'll see you through these dark valleys. That was an old hymn we used to sing all the time. These people were li living in different times, but you know what? We can bring them. We can bring them here. Yeah. It's a great song. It really is. So with that, I am actually finished. You know, but I want you to be able to go and listen. And then the things that you wrote down, spend some time with God with that, with ways that he can bring certain insight to your life with the things that you've suffered. Because there are things about suffering that we are more like Christ. And to know that even when his death on the cross, he absorbed all of our suffering and took it on to himself. Isn't that a great Savior that we have? So is there anything that you guys, you have any questions? That's pretty simple today. And we finished at 1030, so you have time in your, in your groups. Or anything through your other read, it doesn't mean that I do have some things on the other chapters that just kind of stuck to me. I just printed them all out. But are you guys good to go? Yay. All right. And ladies, we don't. Oh, and you know what? I did. I wanted to share something with you. Last night it was in the bulletin. And I'm going to encourage you. When we have the next Wednesday, when there is a prayer time at church and the community is joining together, I really would encourage you to come and sit with other believers and pray to your Father in heaven. There was something beautiful. There was a movement, I think, last night. And for those of you, find the time to do this. It is something really beautiful when the church comes together and they pray in unison. And it was wonderful. We had a good showing. And what I liked was how many people just didn't look around and think about it. Prayed openly. Don't be fearful of that. And I think at times we do. We listen to other people pray and we think, oh, I don't pray like that. I don't sound like that. So I'm going to keep a tab. I'll take my thing and I'll write down everyone I say I'm kidding. But it would be wonderful to have you come. It really would. And especially, I mean, it's just, it's such a beautiful time. And, you know, just even like what I'm finding as I get older, it's not about coming to God to pray for what you want. Even though our wants, I mean, there are things that what we want, and the wants are good, there can be. But I think what you learn more is, and I think last night, it was about what does God want to do? It's praying according to thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praying in that direction when you've prayed and you've you've prayed that to him, he will lead you himself and what to pray. Then you're not going through this, this circus acrobatic act of trying to figure out what is his will. Is it that way? Is it this way? When you're going to him and you want his will, he gives it to you. And so you can walk with confidence in your prayer life and it develops a much more intimate relate. That, ladies, I read this last week in some of my reads, and it spoke to me, that is one of the primary purposes in prayer, is to deepen your, your intimacy with God. You're getting to know him. There are ways. Do you ever ask him just questions about himself? I do. I'm learning that I ask questions about himself. Tell me about this. Speak to me about yourself. What do you think about this? I ask Jesus all the time when I'm in, when I find myself in a situation, I don't know what to do. I really and truly do not know what to do. And I'm saying, if you were walking here, what would be your answer? And a lot of times it doesn't come really quickly because I think he's waiting. 
to see how long I wait, but I feel that he does find ways of speaking to me the way that he wants me to answer. Then I go with confidence. If I'm not seeking him, whose confidence am I in? I'm in mine. So come next Wednesday. All right? With that, you're dismissed. Go to your classes.